I want to begin by mentioning some things that aren't directly from Ruth. Who, who has seen the TV show Perfect Match? Perfect Match? What about The Bachelor? Married at First Sight? Oh, no one wants to confess to that. Uh, Farmer Wants a Wife, Beauty and the Geek, First Dates. There's, there's thousands of them, isn't there? These TV shows, these reality shows that dig into our desire to see people paired up, matched, to see romance. And they're tapping into this deep desire we have as human beings for intimacy, relational connection, and especially at that deep level of marriage, romance. There's thousands of TV shows, there's more love on the spectrum. My personal favourite, If You Are The One, uh, a Chinese version. It's just brutal in its cutthroat kind of approach to uh, dating. It's, uh, it's worth watching if you haven't seen it before. Uh, there's, so, there's so many of these and people keep tuning in to watch them for the drama and the suspense. Because while we desire romance and intimacy and connection so strongly, we also know that, that there's kind of a, well, often it's elusive, isn't it? Often it's precarious. That's, that's, the, that's the, core, the key thing that's at the core of every romantic comedy. There's this hope driving the narrative on that the two people will get together and yet there's all these obstacles that seem like it's going to be unlikely or that it's going to fall apart and it provides the tension. And yet that's reflective of life, isn't it, in lots of ways. We desire it strongly and yet there's so many things that go wrong. Well, as we, as we read Ruth, we have been seeing God's surprising providence, his providence that can, in fact, be right in front of us in ways we don't always recognise at first, his providence that extends over the situations where we feel things are risky, but to him, it's firmly under his control. And today, as we look at Ruth chapter 3, we see that God's surprising providence not only encompasses our physical and external needs, but also our needs for relationship and intimacy and romance. Well, God's in control of these things. Let's turn to Ruth chapter 3 together and we'll read what it says now. I'm not going to find it in Mark. Ruth chapter 3. One day Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Here's the setup at the start of the chapter. Naomi recognises that Ruth needs security, not just in her food being provided, but she needs security in relationship, in a home where she'll be settled. 
And so what does she do? She comes up with a plan. She says, now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. Now, I haven't seen this kind of, this type of thing play out in any of those TV shows. Uh, it's kind of, it seems maybe a bit strange advice in, in some sense, but we get the gist of what's going on, don't we? Naomi says, get ready for your big day. Make yourself as presentable as possible. Do all the things that you know how to do to be attractive. And then you're going to go and meet Boaz down at the threshing floor. Now, despite it's on a threshing floor, maybe sounds like it has uh, some double meaning there. Uh, it actually, it actually was a well, just a pretty boring place. It was just a big flat space that they used to separate the grain from the chaff. And they would do it by getting there in the afternoon and the evening when the breeze started coming up from the Mediterranean across the countryside and they would just grab handfuls of the barley and throw it up into the air and the heavier grain would rise and then fall and land down in a nice pile and the lightweight chaff, the outside bits of the grain, would get blown by the breeze and would get off. But this was part of the farming process that happened. This was work that uh, seems to be done by men. So Boaz is there either hands-on engaged in this process or at least supervising his workers that are doing it. And Naomi sends Ruth down there. Now, I haven't seen this in action and I haven't actually... I haven't seen shearing in action, but I've seen it on TV. You know the shearing shed where it's sweaty and hot and there's 10 usually usually just men working there and it's dominated by a masculine atmosphere. It's the kind of, it's the kind of scene that Naomi sends Ruth into. What does she say? Wait till they've finished, they've, wait till Boaz has had his dinner He's had his wine and he's gone to bed. Notice where he lies down. And then, then go and make your move. So wait till he's in his best frame of mind. The work's done. He's relaxed. He's on a full stomach. He's going to be happiest. Then go and make your move. And it's this bit that we find weird, I think, that is incomprehensible. Go and uncover his feet. Now, what does that mean? Some people have suggested it's a euphemism for uncover something else. And then the 
follow-on effects of what would result. And that may be what Naomi intends, but that's certainly not what happens. As we see, uh, this phrase, being near his feet, is repeated. That she's actually lying next to his feet and sleeping there uh, in a very kind of plain way, as the meaning would suggest just on the surface. Uh, it seems like there's, there's nothing more going on than what actually is described. Now, even if Naomi intends this, that's not what falls out. Uh, where are we up to? Verse 5. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. The first thing he noticed is a woman asleep there. It's not that he's being uncovered in some uh, inappropriate way. Who are you? He asks. I am Ruth. Oh, your servant, Ruth, she says. And then this is interesting. What's her, what's, what does she do to proposition him? She said, spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Wow, what a pickup line. <laughs> Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. What does she do? She says, do your duty as one who has a responsibility for our family. Look after us, include us, embrace us into the fold. Now, maybe this is a bit formal, and maybe maybe she could have done it like a bit more sweet talking about it. Uh, but what, what's actually going on here is she's actually quoting himself back. Uh, back in chapter 2, uh, last week, and if you remember, Boaz, in getting to know Ruth a little bit, had taken notice of her, recognized the kindness she had shown to her mother-in-law, and he had actually prayed a blessing over her. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 12, he had said, May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Now, you don't notice it reading in English. Uh, and here, I don't think I've ever... I don't think I've ever brought up Hebrew before in talking to you. But here's a really interesting thing that you miss uh, in English, but you see in Hebrew. The word wing in chapter 2, verse 12, kanaf, is the same word that's translated in chapter 3, verse 9, corner of your garment. Boaz had prayed that she would find shelter and security under the, under the Lord's wing. And now Ruth, 
recognizing he has this special responsibility as the guardian redeemer, says, hey, spread your wing over us. You prayed for it. Are you willing to be the answer to your prayer? Are you willing to stretch and include me, the foreigner, and my mother-in-law? People who are vulnerable, who are needy, who will be ultimately a, a cost that Boaz has to incur to provide for them, to keep them, to redeem them, to buy them back. That's what the idea of guardian redeemer is. Uh, you can read more about it in Leviticus chapter 25 if you like later. But it was a special role that God had set up that key family members had responsibility if, if members of their extended family got into trouble, particularly financial trouble, it was their responsibility to, to buy them out. And so Ruth says, Spence says to Boaz, spread the corner of your garment over me. Now, despite how weird a pickup line it sounds to us, uh, Boaz is impressed. It works for him. Verse 10, the Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run, up, run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, daughter, do not be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know you are a woman of noble character. Boaz, in his godliness, in his willingness to, to bear the cost for the sake of others, in his kindness and generosity, he's willing to take on Ruth. And he's impressed with her. He's impressed with the way that she, being a young woman, hasn't just looked for the nearest hot young thing to settle down with, but has actually honoured Naomi's family. He, don't notice he points out her kindness is greater than that which she showed earlier. What kindness is it? It's not kindness to him. She hasn't already shown kindness to him in a remarkable way. She's been dependent on him, receiving his kindness. The kindness she has shown has been towards Naomi, towards her dead husband's family. She's been seeking to stay with Naomi and help her out. To put herself at risk, going to work in the, in the farms of strangers. And now this kindness, instead of chasing after a young man, she's honoured Naomi and her family by seeking a match, seeking a home with the guardian redeemer, with the God-ordained way of providing for their family in times of need. Now, this is it's foreign to us. I know we don't tend to think of widows 
remarrying within the same family. Uh, that would feel weird in our culture, and I get it. Uh, but that was the custom in ancient Israel. And it was the way that God had set up for people to be provided for and looked after. And so Ruth, by not going after just the most attractive, rich, going thing, by going for Boaz, who seems to be a bit older, she's trusting in God's provision and honouring Naomi and her family. So Boaz is pleased with, Naomi, with Ruth, with this plan, and it's all set. It's like... It's like that moment of the, of the rom-com where you see the two people and they can finally say, yes, they get it out. They both like each other. It's going well and it looks like smooth sailing until there's some complication. Something funny happens and it makes the movie go for another hour and a half. Um, and that comes here in verse 12. Because Boaz says, I will do for you all you ask. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of, your, of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Someone else has priority. It's someone else's responsibility first. And it wouldn't be right for Boaz to, to jump up the queue and to redeem ahead of his turn. And so even though it seems like there's this perfect match, Boaz and Ruth, in God's ordering of things, there's actually another guy. Could it all fall apart? Would he swoop in and redeem Naomi's family and take on Ruth? Well, Boaz says, stay here for the night and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. Boaz swears an oath, a strong oath, as surely as the Lord lives. So she does. She lays his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. And when she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. And then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her. And he added, he gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. shown his kindness yet again, maybe a pledge of his good intentions. And then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. And so the chapter ends on a cliffhanger, and you have to come back to the next episode uh, to find out what happens. Will the romance blossom and come to fruition? Well, we're going to leave it and come back next week. Uh, to see how it plays out. 
But as we reflect on this chapter, we see even the things of our relationships, our relational needs, are something that God has thought about. Not only thought about, God actually designed us to be relational people, to need intimate connection, to need to be provided for in families. When he created Adam, the Bible says, the Lord looked and saw that it was not good for man to be alone. We're made to be in relationship. God knows that. And indeed, God does provide for our relational needs. Now, I don't want to suggest that there's kind of, the Bible doesn't speak about soulmates in the way that our culture does. And I think that's unhelpful in that it kind of, you start imagining that there's the person who's perfectly formed out there to compliment you in all the ways that will just make life easy and happy. That doesn't happen because God's highest priorities isn't our ease and comfort and happiness. There's more important things on his mind, often our holiness. And so sometimes the match that he, that he arranges and sorts out for us and provides in his good timing is someone who's going to lead us to grow in our godliness, maybe through trying our patience. Maybe it's through showing up as a, as a mirror, our selfishness. Sometimes that's the way God works in order to help us grow. But God, God does know our needs and he can be trusted to provide. Now, I don't want to give you dating tips here, um, partly because I don't have any good ones. Um, and... Partly because that's not what this chapter is about. Ruth isn't written here with a description of how Ruth Ruth goes about it as an instruction manual, as a recipe for how to find love. And I think if we all started going down to the local farms uh, to try and arrange marriage this way, it would be really weird. (laughs) And I don't guarantee that it would work. But... What are we reminded of here? God is a God who is in control, who can be trusted. And it is best when we seek things out in accordance with his plans and with his provision. Just as as Ruth pursues the match through the guardian redeemer that God has provided, not chasing after the younger men, whether rich or poor. So it's good for us to remember that we ought to seek relational connection and intimacy according to the way that God has provided. God has designed sex as an expression of intimacy between a husband and a wife. Our culture has largely done away with that thinking, but it is good. It is best for people to pursue intimacy that way. 
within the boundaries of a marriage, within the commitment and security where people can be vulnerable emotionally and physically with one another. It's good for us to trust and wait and not not give up on God's providing what's good, what's best. Uh, Often, see, young people who are eager to find a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a husband or a wife and find that that process is too slow inside the church. Find it hard to find a godly man like Boaz. Find it hard to find a woman of noble character like Ruth. Find it hard to find someone who's pursuing godliness, who is trusting Jesus and following him as the greatest call on their life. And in their impatience, turn to find a partner who's not those things, who's not at heart a godly man, a woman of noble character, who's not following the Lord Jesus as the greatest call in their life. Now, God can work in these situations and does again and again by his mercy, but let me give you the warning, it's it's not what's best. It comes with much heartache and pain. As many as young people I've seen doing this, I've heard the stories of the people with the wisdom of years and hindsight say, it was so much harder than I thought. Being married to a man who doesn't help me follow Jesus, who's not supportive of me belonging to church, who doesn't understand when I want to overflow with generosity and buy Bibles. Friends, if we trust in God's provision, sometimes it will mean being patient and waiting. Sometimes it will mean saying no to the options that the world throws up to us in its wisdom. Sometimes it might mean we stand out and look really different from the culture around us and the way they pursue intimacy. Certainly, I hope in our lives, it looks very different from what we see on TV and the way that romantic emotional connection is pursued there. But as we do it, trusting in God, it is what's best. And we know that God has our our best at heart. 
by the way he provides for us and our emotional needs, our intimacy in the, in the definitive way. The Apostle Paul, as he's explaining this, uh, he's explaining about relationships, he says this, he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In our desire to be loved and treasured and valued by someone, we need to keep coming back and reminding us that we are loved and valued and treasured by someone fundamentally in such a way that it shapes who we are at the core, first and foremost in Christ. If we want to experience romance, this is it. Who has, who has sacrificed more for our well-being? Who has been willing to step down into humble circumstances for our good? Who has been willing to draw near to us when we didn't even know we were ready for it? Who has surprised us with the extent he's been willing to go to win us back, to redeem us from our debt? It's Jesus. And the Bible uses this analogy not just because it's kind of like, it's like marriage, but because ultimately marriage and the relationships and the romance we experience here should be pointing us to this deeper, this deeper romance. Friends, as we, as we read Ruth and we see God at work to provide for Ruth and Naomi through Boaz. We remember his power to provide. And we trust in him as we seek that in our own lives. But ultimately, we need to be pointed again and again to the one who loves us, even to the point of being crucified for us. What a lover. And we ought to seek, seek our relational connections, seeking intimacy. Always, always remembering this. Let me pray for us. Now, Lord God, I do thank you that you are in control and that you provide not just for physical needs, but for our emotional needs, psychological needs, our relational needs.
Thank you that we can trust you, that you do care about these things. Please help us to be patient. Help us to be disciplined and self-controlled where we need to be. Help us to pursue our ultimate longing to be loved and treasured in Christ. And we pray that you would make us even more and more aware of how much he has loved us. We pray this in his name. Amen.